So a Catholic had two Protestants walk into a bar. The oh, they're breathing like rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> Red Roland. How do you beat me to it that time? You beat me at my own joke. <laughs> That's how it goes. Uh, hey, Mike, how's it going today? It's going good. And welcome one and all on YouTube and in podcast land. You are listening to the Tangent Kings. Roll it. Welcome once again to the Tanch Kings podcast. I am, of course, your humble servant, G. Michael Francis, and I'm here with my partner, Crime, Mr. JJ Banks. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing fantastic, sir. How are you doing on this fantastic evening we find ourselves on? Well, besides chasing a dog all the way around the neighborhood, I'm doing pretty good. Mike, you gotta like have some restraint, man, and be like, "Oh, the dog on the leash!" You can't just let him go where he wants to go, man. I, I just opened the door and he flew. That's what they all say. Oh, Maybe you're just a bad dog owner. Have you considered that? One, not <laughs> even our dog we're fostering. Two. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're just letting someone else's dog stay in your home and just let him off the leash? Like, good night, dude. I thought I knew you. I do believe the odds are uncertain times we live in. Pip, pip, cheerio. Mike, what do we have on the agenda this evening for us? Uh, Besides one... Mike about to give the banks uh, RBF. Uh, we have got some, we have got questions about Western Christendom. And with that, we have a guest tonight. We have a guest. Oh, it's right. We do have a guest. I totally forgot. Well, I decided since we're talking about uh, Christendom or more specifically Christianity in general, we thought we'd bring on one of our seminary student friends. So without further ado, and our first Tangent Kings ever guest, it's a historic moment. Mike, give me a drum roll. We have, he's, they call him the Stonky. They call oh, him hurry the up. He's, he's the master of Bitcoin and GameStop. We have Caleb, our seminary friend. How are you doing this evening, <laughs> sir? Hey guys, I'm doing good. How are you? Oh, we're doing great. fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah, great to have you on the show, Caleb. How's your night going? It's good. It's good. going well. Just finished up some classes this evening and, uh, Glasses Feeling at this Greek. time of night? Are you sure it's not a Catholic university? Uh, oh. <laughs> he, he only wishes. He only wishes. <laughs> yeah, have, have your head buried. In, you'd be buried literally up to your eyeballs in Thomas Aquinas. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Bless you. <laughs> Rather than Aquinas, I've been looking, looking a lot at Augustine over the last week. So. Ooh. Hey, Augustus, that's a Roman emperor. I know that Augustine. Guy. Augustine, Augustine, you idiot. Augustine. I barely even know him. Uh, no, I know St. Augustus. Or not Augustus, Augustus. No. Wow! <laughs> wow! <laughs> Is that what we're calling him today? St. Augustus. Oh. <laughs> oh, if it weren't for Rob, we'd have no church. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> I don't needless, even... Needless to say, I think I've insulted at least three religions in the last 30 seconds. 
That's fair. That's pretty. That's pretty. Pretty on par for you. As if that's a record at this point. So yeah, Caleb. Oh no, so- it's not. <laughs> so Caleb, it's great to have you on the show. Obviously, you've seen a couple episodes, and we uh, we have a great time. Uh, rum and coke not involved, but uh, tonight it is. So uh, yeah, so we wanted to talk this evening about kind of just not only the you know we find ourselves these days in times where. Uh, you know, we're all the three of us are religious people, and obviously, we're we're biases that are we really do think that religion isn't a negative thing. We think it's a positive thing, and specifically, that was beautiful. It was, thank you. And specifically, that Christianity is a positive thing, and it's a good thing for the world. Obviously, that's not a popular view or a very politically correct view, but in terms of kind of just where society we find it as it stands today. Um, wanted to have a discussion where you guys can definitely take the lead on it because you guys are definitely uh, more, more informed when it comes to religion than I am. Tell me what, you know, not only like where Christianity finds itself today, but also, you know, over the past several years, we've seen the decline of it. So, in, uh, you know, Caleb, uh, to start us off, why don't you kind of tell us what, what your thoughts on how Christianity has been maybe in the West for the last couple decades and kind of why do you think it's been on the decline? And um, Mike, then we'll get your thoughts on it too. So without further ado, I'll fire away. Uh, well, sure. I will also mention that after that, we're going to have a book quote and then we're going to call it a night. How's that sound? Sounds great. Right. No objections. <laughs> Wouldn't care anyway. <laughs> Let's get on. <laughs> great. So, I mean, I, I think kind of to frame this whole conversation, um, just as we're talking about the rise and fall of Christianity in uh, Western civilization and America, really you know, whatever in that context you want to look at, I think to frame the conversation, um, before we even get into some of the specifics, I think there needs to be a good solid understanding um, of, I think the relationship between nations and cultures um, and Christianity, specifically the relationship between nations and the Lord. And, and we see something about this in Psalm 2, as I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, it mm-hmm. says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Um, And so I I think one of the things you have to understand, at least from my perspective, is the nations by nature, because they're made up of, you know, sinful, unrepentant people, all nations rage against God. Um, And the United States or the West, as we want to discuss tonight, is not, in my opinion, was really not ever some bastion for the proclamation of the gospel. Um, The United States was never, quote unquote, a Christian nation. Um, The amount of Christian people in it has certainly varied over its history. Um, And we can we can definitely talk about that because I think that's a significant topic. Um, But the United States as a nation um, is really just one of many nations that are raging against God and his anointed, as we see in Psalm 2. So that that kind of from my perspective, I think frames how we should be looking at this. Um, Cause I know there's kind of been this growth, especially in recent conservative politics that um, the United States is some anointed nation that it's, you know, the United States is, is God's people, God's nation. Um, and I think just looking really basically at what we see in scripture, um, that's just not the case. Um, and so anyway, I think that's important to keep in mind as we discuss this um, before we continue any any thoughts or responses, maybe areas of disagreement on some of that? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I can't really think of any off the top of my head. Uh, kind of went by in a flash for me, and I was still sort of organizing my notes. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I I can see where your point is. No, it's basically my my stance on it so far. Sure. Mm-hmm. Let's so let's ask you guys both this real quick. So, well, I want to I'll throw out a brief idea and then I'll ask you guys this. So it's kind of interesting you mentioned that, Caleb, because one of the kind of things I've been kind of learning these past two weeks is. And this is a position I kind of largely kind of begin to adopt from Stefan Molyneux, but also in my own experience, it's just that that particular patches is really illustrated just by the general evil of government in general. Um, I certainly grew up with the perspective, speaking from my own experience, that we've been a very righteous nation in the past that's only recently declined, right? That it's been, it was after World War II where the nation became unrighteous and evil and if we could just get back to what we were before World War II, then we'd be this righteous sort of like house, uh, like a lamp on the hill um, nation again. But as I've kind of looked through our history and I've looked at like the general direction the American government's taken in a lot of non-publicly known ways, I've been kind of realizing, no, there isn't. I mean, the nation itself might have different qualities, but government in general is, it seems like it's a very evil institution. Um, well, it certainly can be. Yeah, it absolutely can be. Um, so that's kind of been my thoughts lately on that particular subject. Um, but I, I, I'm certainly a little bit inclined to agree with you, Caleb, that it would not surprise me as we, if we dug through more of American history that we're not necessarily a Christian nation, even if we've had certainly a lot of religiosity yeah, and we're a nation in the, in that the nation once before. had a, a Christian culture. Sure. Yeah. And and I, I, I think that's something that's important to address you know we've seen kind of um an alleged uh decline in christianity um and in some morals and values and ethics in recent years and i think one of the fundamental questions you have to look at is the difference between what it means to be truly and thoroughly christian to be of christ um and then what it means to have morals and ethics because certainly there's some lining up of those two things but they're not mutually exclusive um and, and so, you know, it's possible for somebody to have decent morals and, and not be a Christian, to not be in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I think you can really look at would be to look at church and world history. You know, we've seen the rise and the fall, the ebb and the flow of Christian populations in mm-hmm. certain geographical areas and countries. Um, and in fact, um, in Saudi Arabia, you can find remains of, of old fourth century Christian churches. But obviously today, you know, not a single operating church building exists in the entire country um and so uh, often uh, as history goes on other ideologies and thought processes um, and philosophies come in um and people take hold of them and, and mm-hmm. i think people will naturally gravitate toward new things that they um that in the hopes that it may finally give them fulfillment you know it's it's the theme of Ecclesiastes, um, but on a large historical scale, looking at, at church history, as I mentioned, we find the Christianization of the Roman and Byz- Byzantine Empire, mm-hmm. which began under Constantine. Um, mm-hmm. And there we saw Christianity become a really popular and fashionable thing to be associated with um, because everyone was doing it. Everybody else wanted to do it. Uh, and so in, in regards to the United States, I would argue um kind of the same thing yeah the the first settlers who moved here you know were were christians looking for a space for freedom of worship and freedom of expression and so all the new people moving into the states were moving into a largely christian culture because it it was started um, people moved here who were 
Christians and, and just due to kind of how assimilation works in the functionality of a society, being able to succeed in a society, be, becoming culturally Christian was advantageous. Um, and so, not, you know, not everyone who goes to church truly knows Christ. Sometimes it's just a, just a cultural thing. And I think this is something, this is a reality that's existed really for the entirety of the life of the United States as a country. Um, and of, of course, uh, a Christianity that is void of Christ is really just another religion and nobody will find fulfillment in it and will move on to try the next thing mm-hmm. to find fulfillment in that. Um, and so, like I said, it's a grander, more historical scale of the message of Ecclesiastes. It's all vanity and chasing after the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether they're moving to, you know, find their fulfillment, meaning in political ideologies or other religions, mm-hmm. if, if you are finding your f- fulfillment in a Christianity that is void of Christ, ultimately you're going to move on because it's, you're not going to find fulfillment in it. And I think that's what we've seen go on. Um, some of that moving on in the last few decades of the United States. Mike, do, what are your thoughts on that? Uh Pretty much in agreement. Um, uh, I don't think there's really much I can add on to that, uh, to be mm-hmm. honest. Uh, but you know, like he said, you know, there, you know, when Christianity becomes a cultural thing, it does present the danger of you know just becoming a fad. Mm-hmm. And you know, we certainly, this country has certainly seen a rise of, you know. Uh, a bunch of different philosophies, some of it being Christian, some of it being outside of the Christian faith. But I don't know where I was going with that, but it, it made sense in my head. It did. Yeah, and I don't understand what you're saying too. Uh, Mike always gives himself crap for not making sense when he's making perfect sense and does a great job of it. But um, I think that's a good point, Caleb. Um, and, you know, obviously on the show, we like to focus on what we agree with and don't really, you know, sometimes we'll talk about what we disagree with. We really like to focus on the points that we really resonate with and saying, I agree with you on that and that and that. And I think that's good. Um, one of the things, too, um, I, I think you raised up an interesting point, Caleb, too, is that you mentioned that it's it's ultimately people almost looking for fulfillment and meaning. Um but if it's if and it's incidentally, re- they should not be looking for that in a state that should. Uh, yeah, that's, that's not the purpose of the state. The purpose of the state is not to adopt a religion, which is going to be kind of a shocker for me from the first episode. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah that, that that's the prerogative of the church. Mm-hmm. But the state is purely for mechanical function. Mm-hmm. Sure. So um, w- one of the other questions that that, you know, Jacob, you sent along to me before, before we started recording, just for me to be thinking through as we're heading into the episode, mm-hmm. um, not just, you know, why has Christianity declined in the U.S., um, but what can be done to, to grow it again? And I've, I've got a couple thoughts about that, but it actually ends up leading into a question I've got um, mm-hmm. for Mike. So, um, you know, as we look at the potential of, of trying to, I don't know, regrow Christianity back into the space that it previously held within our culture, um, that there's obviously a couple different ways to look at that. Um, I think fundamentally we have to ask the question, what, what kind of growth are we looking for? Is it a desire to grow in numbers um, or is it to grow the believers that are currently there in, in maturity to grow into spiritual adult, adults? Um, and I, I think it's pretty easy to argue that growing in numbers is something that is easy. You know, put, you know, a lot of 
non-denominational churches, um, kind of seeker-friendly churches, throw a bouncy castle on your church property, have light shows during your singing, um, have fun events like movies on the lawn or laser tag. Um, and then, of course, to grow your numbers, you could also just change your theological affirmations um, so that mm -hmm. you can bring more people in who agree with you. Um, and I think we've seen a lot of that huge shift on a social level in American churches, mm -hmm. especially recently on the issues of gender, sexuality, abortion, women in church leadership. Uh, many churches have adopted new views that have not historically been held by the church and they've grown. And, and so um, it's my understanding, and this is kind of where I'd, I'd love some dialogue with Mike on this, but it's my understanding that some of this has happened in the Catholic church in the past, you know, two centuries as well. I um, mean, I saw uh, that, I, that. I wouldn't say two centuries. I'd say uh, more I'm, or less I'm an sorry, abuse I'm of. Sorry. It's okay. I, wrong, I, wrong word. Not not centuries. I mean, uh, decades. In the last two uh, decades. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, kind of, I sort of got what you meant, you know, after sure. the fact. But uh, yep. but yeah, a lot of it stems from an abuse of what the, Sadic, uh, the Second Vatican Council was trying to accomplish. Right. Uh, so, they, and, and uh, sorry, I'm sorry. go ahead. Uh, what, uh, brief overview of what the Second Vatican Council was. Uh, it was a pastoral council, which was trying to find a way for the church to make the uh, to make the message of the church more understandable to the common man. Well, some uh, some pastors in that council took that and twisted that to say, okay, so we're going to change some theology around. You know, we're going to uh, just throw in some, uh, some of these, uh, no, it says we got to try to adopt some of the culture well then we're just going to throw in some clown on a skateboard and oh yeah by the way he's the pastor uh sure which i think has had an adverse effect now that has not only decreased the the quantity of people coming in but also the quality sure um, yeah and and one of the things that i've even noticed in the catholic church and of course this is from an outside perspective um but i, I saw recently that that pope francis has openly stated he's considering making changes to the rules about celibacy for priests. Um, and then additionally, I think there's been some clear movements of the goalposts on issues regarding homosexuality and liberation theology, both of which were pretty ardently condemned under Pope Benedict and Pope John Paul. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of that is also coming from left media spin, but mm -hmm. uh, I'll speak more specifically towards um, uh, when it came to uh, clerical celibacy uh, of just a couple of thoughts. One, uh, celibacy is a discipline. It's not a doctrine. Uh, uh, there are rights within the Catholic Church, such as the Byzantine rite, and I think the Marian rite, uh, the Marianite rite also has this too, where the priests are not required to be celibates. Mm -hmm. But, uh, uh, and I think those are uh, with that, if I remember correctly, there were very specific circumstances. Like, for example, the priest was already married. Uh, uh, the man who wants to become a priest had to already have been married. Sure. Because, you know, it. Uh, the rule of thumb is, you know, a married man can become a priest legally, but a priest cannot marry. So it, it, is, is that a movement in terms of... Uh... Uh, talking like sort of like a social movement within the church. Right. Uh, and I mean, from, uh, from my understanding, from my understanding, 
you know, 50, 60 years ago, that wouldn't have been the case. Is that, is that a movement that is attempted to, you uh, know, there, ex there expand the number of priests that they have? Is that a movement to um, be more accepting? Um, and, and if so, is the motivation behind that to try to grow the Catholic Church? Well, it is certainly a movement. There are many movements within the, within the Catholic Church. Um, sure. and some of them valid, some of them not. But this is more or less getting priests to where they're needed because there's a tremendous shortage of priests, especially within North America, South America. Uh, I know a priest now in Illinois who's the pastor of three parishes. Wow. Yeah, but uh, but while we're sort of on the topic, just to sort of lightheartedness, um, I get this magazine. It's the East Catholic, uh, East Tennessee Catholic, and on the cover, I, the pastor's stole just sort of made me laugh a little bit. If you can read it, it says bonus pastor for our, uh, our Spotify <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Great. Well, it's supposed to be Latin, you know, Good Shepherd. Yeah, yeah. It's, but it says bonus pastor, and I I saw that and I just bust a gut laughing but yeah no, like a, that's one of those things which uh legally it can be a legit or a acceptable movement within certain mitigating circumstances but then there are other movements which uh he has actually shot down such as you know the push to ordain women as priest you know he right. he very vocally shot that down mm -hmm. as far as gay, gay clergy you know there, there was this whole thing way back a couple of years ago where uh, this was this famous line, you know, who am I to judge, which was taken completely out of context, which reminds me, I saw a cartoon the other day and it, it ticked me off. Sure. It, so, so that, that quote, you know, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, could you explain then the context for that? So I could understand it a little more thoroughly. Well, uh, to keep it short, what he was actually, what he was saying was, you know, if a, if a, a man who has, Homosexual, homosexual tendencies is actively trying to seek God and included in that is not acting on those tendencies. You know, who am I to judge? Who am I to judge his heart? If he's showing me he's actively trying to seek the Lord, the Lord and do his will. That was the actual quote. But that was taken and, you know, twisted to the point where people are thinking, sure. saying, you know, you know, you got two guys and they're in love, you know, who am I to judge? That's not what he was saying at all. As a matter of fact, he said in his encyclical Amoris Laetitia that under no, under no circumstances can two gay men be married. Mm. He said that very clearly. Mm -hmm. You know, and this actually kind of brings us to an interesting kind of point in the discussion too, because I think the reason why, because we were talking a little bit earlier about the decline of Christianity in the West, um, certainly in terms of pop culture, um, is what it seems like it's gone from being kind of heavily talked about to not talked about at all, except only in negative terms, certainly as far as mainstream media is concerned. But I think the reason why people are not only turned off by Christianity in general, but also even religious thinking along those lines um, is because they view the church as they view it as an institution of um you know, a patriarchal institution where only men are allowed to be in leadership, which I'm not necessarily agreeing or disagreeing with, but that it seems like that's the popular perception, um, a perception where traditional gender roles are encouraged and um, promoted, which people, generally speaking, I think there's a popular perception that those are intrinsically oppressive. Um, people feel that way. 
And I think as well, there's also this attitude, if you don't support homosexuality, you're a bigot. There's an attitude of that. There's also an attitude of you should be totally um, tolerant of literally everything, which means you don't say anything negative about anyone's belief systems unless it's unless you're being intolerant, which in that case, you can be intolerant to that person. Um, but I think people just use, view the church as oppressive, a bunch of people that want to prevent you from having fun. And I think that there's also this attitude of it's just archaic. And there's an attitude that um, I think as well in terms of the theology of it, I think there's a perception that uh, God doesn't exist. And if he does exist, the only thing, the only quality he's allowed to have is love. And you can only refer to God in loving situations and all he is is love. And if you view him in terms of he has moral standards, well, you're intolerant, you're bigoted, I'm going to put a label on you. There's that perception. And like I said, that's not necessarily my perspective, but that seems like it's the perception. Um, he can only be loving. He can only be forgiving. He can only be happy and he can only wait on your needs. And he's there to be in a sense, like a divine butler to all your needs. Um, he doesn't require anything of you. It's literally all you do. If you're a Christian, you just be faithful um, and loving and supportive and you only have positive qualities and you never get angry and you never get upset. And, you know, obviously this, it kind of starts to get into like, well, this is a, a complete distortion of, of any kind of Christian doctrine, but also um, it's, it, 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 there's a popular perception that I think is just very misinformed. Um, but another thing too, um, uh, one second, I'm going to click the, uh, okay. Uh, there's just that. And I think there's also this perception that because it doesn't jive with current cultural mores, what's considered moral, um, it just, it's not, it, it's not, it's not considered in vogue. Um, perhaps as it once was. Um, but it, uh, one other point I wanted to make too, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, Caleb, as well. Um, one thing that I've, I've kind of enjoyed about uh, our Western culture um, in general is that we have, a we have a tradition of genuine tolerance, right? Where you can be a non-religious person in, a, in the culture, right? And that's okay. You can be um, a moral person and not be religious. You can follow your conscience still and you don't necessarily have to be religious or follow the same religion. There is this kind of universal tolerance that tends to tolerate other people, other belief systems versus that we used to have versus now it seems to be that. Yeah. You're you, talking about love the sin. Uh, sorry. Love the sinner, but hate the sin. Is. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. It's, it's in many degrees. Yeah. So um, you differentiate that you differentiate between, I still love the intrinsically love the person. Um, and what is love, but to desire the best for the other person. Yeah. And what um, can be better than an eternity in, uh, with God. Yeah, um, unless you're unless you're of an more of an atheist persuasion, in which case you would you you probably would see God as more of a tyrant that likes to uh, hurt people for for sadistic reasons. Um, that's but I mean that's not my view, but I wanted to throw that out there as well. But what's nice about having a like a genuinely tolerant culture the way the United States used to be is that you can have those differing views and it's okay, and you're and you have freedom of speech where you're allowed to say it. Versus now it's like. Um, you can't say anything offensive, or if someone can misconstrue your word, your words as harmful, then you're not allowed to say it. So there is a lack of, there's a complete intolerance for what people call intolerance now, which obviously isn't a system of thinking that holds up. But um, 
I mean, you read biographies on Benjamin Franklin, for example, and he kind of talked about that. Like you still have religiosity back in like the 1700, late 1700s, but you still have that ability. You can kind of do what you want. You have your own personal freedom. Right. But um, yeah, so I, and I, and I kind of, one of the, you know, another thought too that kind of came to mind as well is that, um, you know, in general, um, I've kind of noticed in the last, you could say the last 20 years, especially in like the last six years, especially since 2012 and 2013, is that we've, we have noticed a shifting of cultural mores that, um, that's kind of really shaped what popular, like how things are perceived, right? Um, specifically in the context of, you know, a lot of people have said, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, like Christianity failed in the West. And in general, um, I think as we've adopted more of a Marxist perspective on, like a popular perspective is much more Marxist and more um, atheist um, versus being more neutral. We've adopted more of an atheist perspective, a Marxist atheist perspective. And I think that that's certainly been a shift. And with that shift, you've seen a lot of, uh, like I said, the people's cult, the cultural more seems to have shifted a lot, but uh um, you know, Caleb, in general, I wanted to ask you as well, what are your kind of your thoughts on, um, to quote, put it quote unquote, uh, Christianity failing in the West? What do you think of that? So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's an interesting question to ask. Um, and I guess a, a question I would have in response to your question, um, you know, the, the, I think the underlying assumption of this question um, is that Christianity, the person of Christ, the gospel, um, is in terms of its purpose, you know, for the good of the West or, or, or you know, on a larger scale for the good of the world. Um, and, you know, we could ask, is this accurate? Um, and I would say in a sense, yes, but I, I think it's secondary. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that came to mind in just thinking through this question, um, you know, if we're talking about the moral implications of Christianity and how that affects a culture, um, I think actually the holiness code in Deuteronomy 17 to 26 is a really good place to look. You know, we see in these passages, God laying out good and moral ways to live, giving them guidelines for refraining from sin in order that they may be set apart from the sinful nations that surround them. Um, and, and some some of these guidelines involve God telling the Israelites not to engage in things like bestiality, incest, child sacrifice. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so you look at these things and think God calling the Israelites to be holy, God is calling them to be holy, and this results in a good and moral society. Um, mm -hmm. But we also see this is really not even the primary goal of God's calling them away from sin. We see God say in Leviticus 11, be holy for I am holy. He doesn't say mm -hmm. be holy so that your lives can benefit. The primary purpose to be holy is because God himself is holy and is calling us to his holiness. Um, he wants us to be with him. Right. And, and, and so you ask, will following these commands benefit culture? Certainly. You know, mm -hmm. it's good for culture not to have bestiality. It's good for culture mm -hmm. not to have incest. It's great for culture not to have child sacrifice. Mm -hmm. um, is, is a good culture the purpose? No, mm -hmm. the, the proclamation of the holiness of the Lord is the purpose. Um, and another great example can be found in 
Proverbs, you know, throughout the book, we see countless benefits of good living. It says the righteous are delivered from trouble. A good man obtains favor from the Lord. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. You know, these are all good things and results of good wisdom, good morals, good ethics. They're benefits. But if we look at the context of Proverbs, wisdom is not for the sake of having the good life. True mm-hmm. wisdom is the fear of the Lord, as we see in Proverbs 1. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is a good life a benefit of that fear of the Lord? It certainly can be. Is it the purpose? No. Um, so I think from a thoroughly biblical perspective, mm-hmm. uh, from a, a thoroughly Christian perspective, I think the question may be coming from the wrong perspective. You know, Christianity mm-hmm. is not for any country. It's not for any people. It's not for any hemisphere. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's purposed for the glory and the worship of God through his son, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I've got a little more to say, but I, I'd love to hear some response before I continue on. Yeah. I've got a thought, Mike, you go ahead. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, that that pretty much hit the nail right on the head. I was trying to write notes down as I was listening. But uh, what God's commandments are for and the gospel is for, it's for the salvation of souls. Yep. And from that would spring a good society. So a good society doesn't come from the state enforcing uh, a morality. It comes mm-hmm. from the heart actually being changed. The yeah. hearts of individuals which, which, being which, changed. Right. And, and that connects directly back to what I said previously about how a Christianity void of personally and intimately knowing Christ is, is no different than anything else. It doesn't involve any heart change. It doesn't, it doesn't involve any change in the makeup of your character or any new birth as we see in John 3. Mm-hmm. Exactly. One um one thought I had too to place devil advocate too is um uh is there positives to Christianity decline obviously we're religious people of course but are what are the positives of Christianity declining in the West, right? Or certainly in terms of the culture seemed to shifting from maybe some Christian teachings or moral teachings uh, with as far as Christianity is concerned. Because um, Western civilization is bathed in a Judeo-Christian uh, philosophical and uh, moral framework, but shifting away from that, um, if you if you shift away from that, what are some benefits? Are, like, are there benefits? Um, and, you know, can you... I guess the two thoughts is that it, what if you're what if you're non-religious, right? Sure. How does that kind of factor in as well? Like, if you're, I'm thinking formulating way of putting it. If you're non-religious, um, how does that kind of fit into the equation? And is there anything? Is there a benefit to Christianity declining in the West? Is my question for you guys. Uh, well, I will sort of speak to the uh, second question first. You know. Uh, I guess in a way it does force people to actually be honest about what they believe so that it, you know, potentially we can get them back on track. So, uh, which gives a better possible outcome for their eternal soul mm-hmm. instead of just continuing on this lukewarm path, which is, uh, and ultimately it's dishonest. You know, the, the Lord says, no, the lukewarm, I shall vomit from my mouth. And he mm-hmm. uses that language for a reason. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, yeah. Forces, it forces a gut check. You know, mm-hmm. uh, am I uh, in a state of grace? 
know, mm-hmm. am I on the path I should be on? Mm-hmm. If no, right. And, and if I'm I, not, and if I, yeah, if the answer is no, and I don't have a pride problem is okay. I better get back on, on track. And you have that going on in a massive scale. No. Yeah. And, and I, I society back. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think you see in areas where Christianity is either declining um, or in some areas in the world suppressed. Um, for sure, you see there is this, you know, remnant of, of true believers that is, is preserved by the grace of the Lord. And, and, and these people, many of them, you know, are, are making decisions that really affect their life and their death or their life or their death um, based on a proclamation of faith. There are some, some areas in the world where if you make a proclamation of faith, um, your life's in danger, whether it's by your family or by your government. And, and so in places where Christianity is less popular, if not even moving in the direction of, of being oppressed, um, yeah, I, I think exactly as you were saying, it, it, it yeah. really it, it separates, you know, as Jesus says, it separates the sheep from the goats. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one, one point I wanted to bring up too. So Thomas Sowell in his book, he, he talks about conflict of visions and there's two kind of conflicting, uh, conflicting visions that kind of generally the world tends to gravitate to, and they're not compatible visions. They're totally contrary to each other. One he describes as the unconstrained vision that people are intrinsically good. And what makes people evil is that they have the evil intent on their heart or that they are neglectful, which is just a symptom of evil. And if they just had good, more good intentions on the world would get better and people can be intrinsically programmed and reprogrammed and reeducated to act in a certain way that um, it leaves an opening for if people just need to be reprogrammed by their environment into doing good or, or conditioned to being good, intending good, then more good will happen. And the other, the other one is the, un, the constrained vision where it says that people are uh, intrinsically selfish, which I would agree with, um, and people are intrinsically um, perhaps uh, evil, um, at least deep down by human nature standpoint, that they're more that they're not really benevolent by default, and that um, it doesn't really matter what your intentions are. What matters is more of your results. That there isn't a universal solution to something or a particular issue or problem. What you have are trade-offs. That you're dealing in a, in a you're you're finite. You're dealing in a uh, you're a failable human being that can make mistakes and you're trying to find the best trade-off solution for a particular problem. And what that particular perspective deals with is the side effects, like the uh, unintended good of in fact being selfish. And reading parts of that book has kind of changed my thinking on, because I used to think what matters was your intentions. Like I used to agree with you, Caleb, that when you'd say that what matters is having good intentions and trying to follow God's law and being a moral person will result in good things, which I don't think is intrinsic. I don't think is wrong, but what I kind of, I'm a little bit more inclined to believe nowadays is that it's completely reasonable to be, I'm inclined to think, and this might not be popular, but I think it's completely reasonable to be selfish as far as um, following the moral laws concerned with regards to what God teaches. Like if I want God's blessing and it benefits me, why, why wouldn't I, why it, you know, why can't I be selfish with that? Because if I'm following his blessings, if the result is, my goal is to follow what he's teaching. Whatever my intention is, doesn't matter. What matters is that if I'm following it or doing what my, in a way my conscience is telling me, 
then and I get benefited from it, it's because I'm making the right action. The emphasis is more on action rather than intention. So not a not a direct disagreement with what you're saying, but I thought I'd throw that out there because um, it's something I've been reading a little bit lately. Sure, and and I I think that you know moves right into the issue certainly of original sin, um, but then also just regeneration. You know, when the Lord mm-hmm. works in your heart to cause you to be born again to your soul is regenerated and and so your intentions um are drawn to be more and more in the image of the lord um mm-hmm. and and so your intentions even for doing good and moral things you know mm-hmm. hopefully they would be not for the sake of your own benefits but they would be for the sake of the glory of the lord mm-hmm. um yeah, and I, I think for sure there is just a rise in that popular idea that people are inherently good. Um, but if you were to read scripture for 10 minutes, you'd very quickly realize that, you know, all people are born in Adam, mm-hmm. as we see in Romans, and, and they're born, in, and, and not even just born, at the point of conception, they're mm-hmm. sinful beings, um, and their intentions are selfish and are meant to fuel their own fleshly desires. Um, mm-hmm. And in the Catholic Church, we call this concupiscence. It just, you know, it's that you know, man is drawn naturally towards sin. Mm-hmm. So, and I think yeah. that pretty much touches on, you know, the best of both worlds in that, in that sense. Because mm-hmm. it's well, also this path of, it's also this path of, and Jordan Peterson talks about this too, this path of choosing what's fulfilling, not what's expedient, right? Somebody you can get, it's like, or an example, you even take Star Wars, for example, where Yoda talks about before the prequels kind of rewrote this or retconned it, but that there's a perspective that the dark side is more seductive and it's quick, it's easy, it's fast, it's pleasurable, but ultimately it's not fulfilling versus the light side. It's harder, more difficult. Not many people choose it, but it's ultimately the stronger one. It's more fulfilling Um, because it's a path that I think everybody is on in general, whether you're religious or not, um, is that you're choosing, you know, choose the more difficult road, choose the road to the mountain, not the road to, um, what's just cheap pleasures right because people are intrinsic i think drawn to what benefits them it's just the road you take do you want something that's cheap and easy or do you want something that's going to gen like an achievement that's going to last a longer time and um you know and i you know you mentioned being born again and stuff like that and you know, I've been out of the church life for a little bit. So I hear that phrase and I'm like, oh, I'm having I'm having PTSD flashbacks from my days in my original church. Ah but um Get it out of here. I'm just kidding. But in but in seriousness, though, um, it's uh, I don't know. We need to have you on again, Caleb. And I I want to get some of my non-religious friends on sometime too. Maybe at some point, and we I kind of have this back and forth because I really want to discuss like from have a Christian worldview and a non-Christian worldview. And I was trying to figure out, um, you know what does Christianity look like when you're not a Christian, right? How have people, how have American Christians treated people um, over the last 50 years, just for example, but it just in general. Um, and I don't think the church has behaved very well. And I will throw this in here. Um, one thing that I kind of noticed, you know, and this leads into our first question, you know, why is Christianity declined in the West? Uh, a lot of what, you know, like the atheists see looking in is that they see all, they see Christianity, but all these camps just attacking each other, which could be, a, in my mind, would be a contributing factor. You know, like, 
oh, look at those Baptists over there, nah, nah, nah. and oh, look at those Lutherans. Oh, excuse me. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I tried to make a nasty voice, but uh, my voice is going to do that for me <laughs> in a second. Uh, <laughs> Mike, do your Frollo impression. Do your Frollo impression. Oh, my Frollo, really? Yeah, yeah. pretend to be a Lutheran, but do it in uh, Frollo's voice. <laughs> Those Catholics. Uh, oh wow! I already messed it up. <laughs> Those Catholics over there. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I totally agree, and, and you even see this, of course, in in First Corinthians six when Paul's talking about, um, in that context, believers suing one another, um, and you know, causing unnecessary dissension among the body of believers, um, and it does a poor job of representing the gospel and brings shame upon the name of the gospel. And I think that probably has been a factor um, in uh, turning people away from the church. It it hurts our testimony and it hurts our proclamation of the name of Christ. So, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Go Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that um, Ben Franklin made an interesting example as well. He said that, you know, what damages a religion more um, the, the teachings of its founder and I'm paraphrasing him, but he said, what, te- what damages it more, what it teaches or on the hypocrisy of its followers. Hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. And, and definitely yeah, I, a second. And with what our culture and our politics are going for nowadays, uh, give me a second. Excuse me. Uh, but with uh, our culture and our politics going the way they are, it may just come down to us Christian churches pulling together and saying, you know what? Let's put our theological differences aside for a moment. Let's come together. Let us pool our resources. Let us take care of the poor. Let us educate our our young in our traditions. Mm-hmm. And hopefully something can something good will come out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's just my opinion. I could be wrong, uh, mm-hmm. as Dennis yeah, Miller and- would say. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, just kind of some more of my thoughts to. I guess, bring us full circle. The biggest underlying question really, and this is a debate happening within all portions of the church, whether Catholic, Protestant, um, Lutheran, and, mm. and that question really is what, is, what is the church's involvement in, or what ought to be the church's involvement in culture? Um, and yeah. largely, I think you see, you see two camps kind of emerging in this conversation. Um, and, and yeah, I think it gets to the heart of the questions we're discussing. And, and so you'd see these two camps um, and the names I know them as are the two kingdoms view and the transformationalist view. Um, and so uh, scholars like Abraham Kuyper would advocate for Christ's lordship over every square inch of creation. Um, and therefore the church ought to seek the transformation of the world into the image of Christ. And that's the transformationalist view. Um, and the second view is called the two kingdoms view. People like John Calvin would have advocated for a form of this view. And it leans really heavily on passages like Philippians 320, uh, which tells us that our citizenship is in heaven, not here on earth. And, mm-hmm. and people who hold this view would insist that the church's primary and maybe sole responsibility um, is to gather and perfect the saints, um, looking to our final hope in heaven while living as aliens on earth. Um, and from my understanding, uh, I, there's a similar uh, Catholic doctrine um, in the papal bull Unum Sanctrum in 1302 by Pope Boniface VIII, um, where he taught that there's only one kingdom, but with two swords, the spiritual sword wielded by the church and the temporal sword, the lesser of the two, 
wielded by the state. Um, it, mm -hmm. I just kind of in doing some research on that, I found it interesting that both Protestants and Catholics had, um, you know, looked at the same issue. Um, but for me that, personally, that, that, is not I, to, that isn't to say that the two cannot cooperate on a certain level. Uh, right. Like I said, uh, historically, the church has handled uh, education. It has handled uh, even medical uh, uh, medical advancement. I, I just say that as the first word that pops into my head. Uh, sure. And, and, but, and, and so that really is the underlying question here. How involved should those two kingdoms or mm -hmm. two swords, how, how involved and how overlapping ought they to be? And, and I think state, either way, sorry, I mean, go ahead. Sorry, uh, the state, this is just my opinion, the state should focus on maintaining just uh, as minimal as possible, uh, uh, that is said, with as minimal power as possible, maintain an orderly society on a very basic level, whereas the church would act as teacher, you know, uh, starting the schools like it did in Europe, you know, and you know, of I think they started the, the Catholic Church started. I think it was twenty-seven of Europe's great universities. I think, yeah, it was. Yeah, I think it was twenty-seven. And a lot of people, yeah, but it was theology. Uh, no, actually, two of them were dedicated to theology. Uh, the rest, yeah, you, know, you had like medicine, uh, you had law, you had all, all different kinds of schools dedicated to different things. But you know, the the church to a degree could handle that as opposed to the state handling that. I think that would, if if not a perfect view, perfect view, that would be better than what we've got now, where the state is handling like everything except the pulpit almost. You know, it's, I yeah, wanted to, I, go ahead, finish your thought. I, I, yeah, I, I agree. You know, there's, of course, as I said, differing levels of how much overlap there is, but either way, I think it's really important to emphasize and differentiate the clear difference between God's redemptive work in, in the sa salvation of individuals um, and, and, God's er and God's earthly work of providence and general sovereignty. And, yeah. and personally, I would argue that the church primarily um, ought to seek to gather and perfect the saints and transformation may take place in the wake of that, as we, as I mentioned earlier with Deuteronomy and Proverbs. Yeah, and, um, and I have but, no argument with that. As a matter of fact, we're pretty much in agreement. I was just yeah. focusing on the more secondary where you were focusing on the primary. Sure, and but yeah, and so the transformation is a result, but not the purpose of it. Uh, and ultimately, the purpose of the church's presence in the world, of course, is the proclamation of the gospel so that those who hear might repent of their sin, put their faith in Christ, who died and rose again for the forgiveness of their sin, and all of this so that God may be glorified. And I, I know we're in agreement about that, um, but mm -hmm. that was just kind of wrapping up my thought. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, I see where you're coming. Yeah, um, I got a brief uh, one quick thought on what you'd said a little while ago, Caleb, about uh, the John Calvin view. One thing that I've really been disappointed with personally in the church for many years has been that there's that more of that attitude. And I think what that attitude effectively does is that when you say, well, our kingdom's not here, don't build something here, right? You build it in heaven, which in my perspective is that I, I read this Douglas Adams quote of all things today, and I kept sticking in my mind and it said, we can't win against obsession. They care. We don't, they win. And I think that that when you have an attitude that you're obsessed with something that isn't in the, this world, or that's the perspective anyways, 
when you're fixated on something not here, you're not going to build something here. And that means that without you building something here, when you're focused on perfecting your own theology, which you can't do, because it's not within the mind of any one man to have all the answers, man or woman, um, when that's your perspective, you're not building anything here. Uh, the world, everyone in the, that lives in the world now is denied the beauty of any achievement you would have made otherwise. And I think it makes people... Because if you don't care about anything in the world, then it means that you're not motivated to give a gift to anyone or build anything for them. And I think it just makes the church just apathetic in a lot of ways. And I think that that's a disservice to humanity. Um, but, yeah, uh, and, and I, I think what you were saying there at the beginning really gets the heart of a really big problem in the church today. Um, and that's really just the pervasion of the prosperity gospel in all areas of the church um, in moving our eyes from being fixed on Christ and being fixed on eternity to being um, fixed and focused on the issues and struggles and pains of this world. Um, and, and certainly that leans far more in the direction of the transformationalist view where we start to put our faith and our hope in political operatives and candidates who can change the circumstances of today um, and, and removing our hope from Christ. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't look good, dress good, eat good, it does not bring God honor. Oh, God, I hate even <laughs> quoting that. Bring, bring in praise and glory in the house of God. You know who I was quoting, right, Banks? Yeah. Okay, at least yeah. one was the same bit. Son um, Goku. No, I was quoting Joel Osteen. Oh, sorry, I was thinking that one anime. That, that's, why, that's why I threw up a little in my mouth. Oh. Uh, <laughs> How are we for time, Mike? I think we're actually starting to run a little bit low. Okay. So anyway. Well, thanks, guys. I mean, I, I've really appreciated this. I've enjoyed our conversation. Glad we found some areas of um, commonality. It's been it's been good. Likewise. Yeah. But the, the show's not over yet, though. Mr. <laughs> Banks, right. your book quote, please. So I'll quote C.S. Lewis. And uh, Ooh, good choice. Yeah, I was looking. I, I found this quote in the book. I'm like, I love this. So it, it goes, quote, you can't go back and change the beginning but you can go, you can start where you are and change the ending. That is a good point. And with that, we'd like to thank you one and all for joining us on this absolute dynamite episode. Did somebody say dynamite? <laughs> I'm beginning to get a slight headache. <laughs> That's I couldn't fun. resist. Uh, thanks, thanks, Mike. So be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and thank you so much to our guest, Caleb, this shadow pastor to be. Uh, <laughs> Stonky Kong forever. <laughs> okay, I was going to avoid that. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's the best nickname. Come on, man. Yeah. So Pastor Stonky Kong. Uh, hey! <laughs> <laughs> if you don't use that in your ministry, I will never forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> And all of God's children said, "Amen." Amen and pe- <laughs> a- amen and pass the GameStop. Uh- <laughs> Praise the Lord and pass the Bitcoin. Oh my goodness! Lord, pass all the- we're having way too much fun with this outro. So I think I, I think we're actually starting to lean into heresy here. <laughs> oh, do not use that word with me, boy. <laughs> Says you're a heretic. Well, God knows I'm joking. Uh- <laughs> anyway, 40, 
What? Pray, pray, I was going to say, uh, by the emperor. That's Warhammer 40K. That's heresy. Uh, uh, not by emperor. Do you mean St. Augustus? <laughs> Saint. <laughs> no, at that time, I was thinking St. <laughs> Thank God for saving us against those horrible galls. <laughs> Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, we really appreciate you guys so thank you so much for watching Parks at Bonum so if you like our podcast check us out on Parlor. also like us on Facebook check us out on Rumble and also check us out on our podcast platforms of Anchor Spotify and what's the last one Google Podcast God bless you